Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Produce Buzzers Podcast. We're so happy that you've joined us today, and I think you will be too after the show is over. You will have learned a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables, how to prepare them, what their nutritional value is, uh, all about their history and origin. We hope you'll find it interesting, and we hope it inspires you to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, not only to improve your health, but to enjoy their deliciousness while you do so. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Edwin Stepp, Executive Editor of Produce Buzz. I'm here with my brilliant and beautiful sister, Teresa Nolan, president and founder of Produce Buzz, along with the fastest veggie maker in the West, our brother, <laughs> Rick Stepp, and the lovely Cynthia Benedetto. They are both contributors to Produce Buzz and longtime veterans of the produce industry. Happy holidays, everyone. This is our Christmas edition of the Produce Buzzers podcast. This episode was inspired by two works of art that are embedded in the Christmas tradition. And they have common subjects. First of all, you know this poem well. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. You know that poem very well. I won't read the rest of it, but we hear it every Christmas and many times in many forms. That poem was written by a man named Clement Moore in 1823 and published in a local paper where he lived in Troy, New York. Uh, we are intrigued by it, us produce buzzers, because of its reference to sugar plums. What are they? Are they fruits? What are they exactly? But Moore wasn't the only one to associate sugar plums to Christmas. A major character in the Nutcracker Suite by Tchaikovsky is the sugar plum fairy. The plot and characters for Tchaikovsky's ballet was taken from a story originally written by a German writer named E.T.A. Hoffman, just seven years before Moore's Twas the Night Before Christmas poem. That story was called The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. That was rewritten by Alexander Dumas, who you may recognize the name. He was the author of The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo, among other very famous novels. He re rewrote it in 1844, and that was the version of the story that Tchaikovsky used. Dumas kind of made it more of a children's story. Moore's tale was a bit darker, and I think you, you, most of our listeners probably know the basic plot of the Nutcracker Suite, uh, Tchaikovsky's famous ballet. Uh, it's a strange tale of toys coming to life and fighting against mice. The toys being led by, the, by this nutcracker, which was shaped like a soldier bearing fierce teeth between which nuts would be placed to be cracked. The nutcracker comes alive in the, on Christmas Eve and mice come out of the floorboards 
and the toys, soldiers, and the dolls all come to life and fight the mice. Uh, the mice were led by the mouse king, who had seven heads. Hoffman was one of the first and leading gothic horror writers of the 19th century. So the original story was pretty dark, with some heavy social and psychological themes. Alexander Dumas lightened it and made it more of a children's story. But eventually the Nutcracker defeats the mice in the story with help from the heroine of the story, whose name is Clara. At that point, the Nutcracker is released from a curse and turned back into a prince. He takes Clara to his kingdom, the land of sweets, a magical world of living toys and delicious candy. While the prince was under the curse, his kingdom was ruled by the Sugar Plum Fairy. Of course, since it's a ballet, the Sugar Plum Fairy has to dance. <laughs> so why were there so many Sugar Plums dancing in 19th century uh, folklore and art? <laughs> what the heck are Sugar Plums anyway? Was it a real plum? <laughs> well, when we check in with some candy historians, yes, there are such things as candy historians. Cynthia, I think you missed your calling there. You should have been a candy historian. <laughs> the, wor the word sugar plum uh, first appears in 17th century, and, but the historians don't always agree on what they were. Some think they that it originally did refer to a candied fruit, but others think they were always just candy or confits which were made with a seed or a nut at the center of many, many layers of hardened candy applied over time. That was, that was a very careful and painstaking process. So sugar plums became a luxury item. But some of the, but some of the historians... Not to be mistaken with um, a Tootsie Roll Pop. A Tootsie Roll Pop, yes, that's a good analogy. <laughs> that could be considered a sugar plum. So a lot of these historians do believe that it originated as dried fruit that might have been coated with sugar. You know, they, drying fruits and even coating them with sugar was a way to preserve fruits in the past. So they think that the origin of it probably was perhaps a plum or more generally just any kind of dried fruit. So uh, there's debate among that. Um, it, sugar plums, though, eventually just became to represent kind of a, all sweets and candy. So they are now associated with Christmas, uh, but sugar plums as a, an exact thing don't seem to exist anywhere now, you know, just other than in our literature. <laughs> so that's what we have to say about sugar plums today. And nuts, of course, from the Nutcracker Suite. So today... We're going to be talking about what goes into your stockings. Since uh, Clement Moore popularized this idea of putting stockings, hanging them over the fireplace, Rick is going to tell us where that tradition comes from. And he's going to tell us about a certain fruit that we traditionally put in those stockings. And then Teresa later will talk about some nuts that we put in those stockings. So, Rick, you want to take it away? Sure. Yeah, so I was kind of curious about Christmas fruit for stocking stuffers. The tradition of Christ, the Christmas stocking is thought to originate from the life of St. Nicholas. In some Christmas stories, the contents of the Christmas stocking are the only toys the child received at Christmas from Santa Claus. Tradition in Western culture threatens 
that a child who behaves badly during the year will receive only a lump of coal. Some people put their Christmas stocking by their posts, so Santa Claus can fill it by the bed while they sleep. Here are four explanations for, for the tradition of placing an orange in stocking. The first one is St. Nicholas and his sacks of gold. One explanation for this tradition stretches back hundreds of years to St. Nicholas, who was born in what is now present-day Turkey. He inherited a large sum of money, but devoted his life to helping others and eventually became a bishop. According to the story, St. Nicholas learned of a poor man who wasn't able to find suitors for his three daughters because he didn't have money for a dowry. St. Nicholas traveled to the house and tossed three sacks of gold down the chimney for each of the dowries. The gold happened to land in each of the girls' stockings, which were hanging by the fire to dry. The oranges we receive today are a symbol of the gold that was left in those stockings. <laughs> That's interesting because in a previous episode, we did a mystery fruit or veggie, do you remember? And it was oranges, yeah. and they were originally, in Greek mythology, were called golden apples. Yeah. I wonder if it, it could be related to that, I guess. Yeah. Is that uh, associated with Christmas or just something he did at some time? Well, that's how the story of St. Nicholas for Christmas came to be. They wanted to have a December wedding. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. Like <laughs> most of us in our family have a December wedding. That's right. And one me, my brother Leon. <laughs> we all were married in December. What, Seriously? 28th, 29th, and 30th of December. Why? Like, for tax reasons? Tax reasons. <laughs> my, son, my son Jared was, uh, and his wife were married. December 28th also, and my son Phil was married December 31st. I forgot about that. <laughs> so we've got two on the 28th, one on the 29th, one on the 30th, one on the 31st. Yeah. One time when I uh, got married, I got married on January 1st because of tax reasons. Right. Yeah. Second time it was on inauguration day. Yeah. <laughs> but the story about the gold, um, Sometimes the story is told with gold balls instead of bags of gold. That is why three gold balls, sometimes represented as oranges, are one of the symbols for St. Nicholas. And so St. Nicholas is a gift giver. This is also the origin of three gold balls being used as a symbol for pawnbrokers. I never knew that. Uh, Did any of you know that no. pawnbrokers use three gold balls for a symbol? No. I haven't I've, been I've to a pawnbroker lately. I've seen it before, but I didn't. I didn't think about the reason. Why? What do you mean you've seen it before? I've seen it on pawnbrokers' signs. Oh, wow! Pasadena mm -hmm. had two or three pawn shops right downtown. That's <laughs> I never went. That's in. fine, but I mean, I've never seen that, and I've seen pawn shops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Pawn Stars has the three gold balls in their logo. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I haven't seen it. But a second tradition is that stockings were a treat during the Great Depression. And I remember my dad telling me this. He grew up in the Great Depression. And that may be why we received stockings at Christmas time. In addition to all the presents that we got, <laughs> stockings were like a source of food and the, everything else was gifts under the Christmas tree. Teresa may remember more about that. Or Edwin, you may. I'm not sure what you mean. Well, we all we used to always have stockings on the fireplace. I think, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And they would, uh, as I recall, 
we just used regular socks, didn't we, Teresa? We didn't have special. You know, that's interesting now that you mention it. But I think when we were, when Sandy and I were little, we actually had a stocking, you know, well, when like you see today. By the time I was old enough to remember, we they would buy these stockings from the store that were already stuffed with treats. And so they didn't, you know, it was like a, it was not a real stocking. It was a, a package that looked like a stocking and it had yeah. candy and little prizes in it. And they would nail it. Yeah, as parents get older, they go for convenience. Right. Right. <laughs> not my yeah. mother. I, I've had a stocking since I was little <laughs> and that was my stocking, but I didn't receive it one year. She sent me gifts, but did not send the stocking. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> like, where's my stocking? And from then on, I always received my stocking. <laughs> and I would mail it back to her uh, so that I would get my stocking that has Cynthia on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's cute. cute. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do remember as a child, Christmas morning, so just regular socks stocking yeah and we'd have a like a tangerine maybe an orange in there and different types of candy i remember i think we had some hard candy in there and maybe some maybe some nuts do you remember teresa if we had nuts yes there? we almost always got walnuts in the shell not already shelled but in the shell you would have to crack them and pick the meat out well cynthia what was in your stocking um as i grew older or when i was little when you're little yeah. <laughs> it doesn't count when you're older though <laughs> um candy uh little gifts toothbrush uh, <laughs> that's good after the candy you need floss to it <laughs> floss um you know those items that you have to replenish every year no citrus so, uh, that's weird your mother was a citrus salesperson, and because she my mother, it, it would always stocking. be like a big bowl of it uh, wherever uh, on the table. Okay, so it wasn't a special treat because it was always there. So what you're saying <laughs> is you did not grow up during the Great Depression. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it because uh, I'm like feeling my age, but no, I did not. I'm not even considered a baby boomer. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you know, uh, that brings up a second reason for the tradition of the Christmas stocking. And one is it was for a treat during the Great Depression. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, money was tight. And many families simply didn't have the means to buy gifts. Instead, it was such a treat, even a luxury, to find things like a sweet orange or some walnuts in your stocking at Christmas. A third reason for the tradition is oranges once a scarce treat some also offer the idea that fresh oranges were hard to come by especially in the north so finding one of these fruits in your stocking was a huge treat in a way of celebrating the holiday i've heard many people many of the old timers talk about that, that it was a very special thing to get oranges you just didn't have them year-round in the stores even when we were kids there was a, a definite season for citrus, and usually Christmas time was when you first got them. Now we have the summer citrus from other other countries in the southern hemisphere, and so we don't really think about how special that used to be. And a fourth reason is it's the season of giving. 
Another theory behind the tradition is that December is the season of giving. And the orange segments represent the ability to share what you have with others. This led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting shoes eagerly awaiting gifts from St. Nicholas. I've seen in multiple places on Facebook, someone post, Christmas is a strange time of year. We sit in front of a dead tree and eat out of our socks. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Fire hazard. <laughs> That's a good one. Today, the fresh fruit has been replaced by fun gadgets and other gizmos. But here at Produce Buzz, <laughs> we encourage the use of fresh fruit to give the children something nutritious and sweet to eat rather than gizmos. <laughs> and and I'm hoping that that sock went through the washer machine <laughs> after your spinach. <laughs> yeah. There you go. oranges. <laughs> but I don't think a lot of the kids today would think a navel orange was better than a, you know, an iPod or an iPhone or something. Or a candy <laughs> bar if you're speaking in terms of sweet. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, that's good. We do encourage that and other kind of nutritious gifts. Sure. So, Apples are also a stocking stuffer. The apple was the original ornament on the Christmas tree. The tr tradition of decorating a tree around Christmas time goes back to pagan times. At that time, a tree was decorated with paper, candles, fruit, and nuts. The most common fruit used was the apple. As paganism gave way to Christianity, this tradition was adopted as a part of Christmas. Some say that's why ornaments are round, mimic the gold-wrapped apples Germans used to place on their Christmas trees. Like, like we talked about earlier, you know, everybody didn't have citrus. <laughs> so if you were in Germany in those days, you know, you would have a fruit like an apple. But it's more than a stocking stuffer. Believe it or not, Christmas stockings didn't used to be totally stuffed. They just held one simple gift, an apple or an orange. Over time, a lot more items made their way into stockings. But even today, the toe is often filled up by a perfectly shaped piece of fruit. In the 12th century, French nuns, inspired by the legend of St. Nicholas, who gave gold to the poor, began leaving stockings full of fruit, including tangerines and nuts, at the houses of poor people. Hmm. The toe of the stocking would contain an apple for good health, and the heel of the stocking, a tangerine, because they were very rare and expensive. Another item that goes in stockings is walnuts. And Teresa will be talking about that later. Cracking walnuts is a holiday tradition in many parts of Europe. The tradition of filling stocking toes with the nuts in their shells probably stems from this tradition. Also, the most famous Christmas ballet is named the Nutcracker, as I mentioned before. I was surprised at how few fruits were mentioned uh, as stocking suckers. I thought I would find that in this country, they put uh, pears. In this country, they put something else. But... It basically is the orange or the tangerine is the number one stocking stuffer for fruit and then apples after that. Yeah, that's interesting. I saw somewhere that pears are used occasionally, but it's obviously not that popular. But they're available. That time. Yeah, imagine you put them in the tote, slam down that apple, <laughs> orange. It's all, it's bruised. 
And mush by the time, you know, Christmas. Thanks, Greg. Yes, pears are much more fragile, so maybe they shouldn't go down in the toe underneath the apple, the orange, or the nuts. Um, But pears do have a significance to Christmas and this month of December, and we're going to talk about that a little later. But first, we're going to talk about the other stocking stuffer star. Teresa Nolan's going to tell us about walnuts. Well, as I mentioned before, we would get walnuts in our stockings and they would be in the shell. If you struggle to crack a walnut and then extract all the meat inside, you'll know that you probably burn as much energy getting that out as you (laughs) would consume calories. Uh, So I always thought maybe that God protected those kind of nuts uh, in that way to keep people from overeating them because Mm -hmm. all, all nuts have a lot of oil in them. And again, oil is one of your most calorie dense foods. Hey, hey, hey. But my parents used to have, not only with the nut cracker, they would have a pick that you could just Oh, that's right, yeah. Right, yeah. We had both of those available for use on Christmas morning. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Some fruits and vegetables look like the organs that they protect, so to speak. Uh, slice a carrot in half and it looks like an eye. And the same is true for a kiwi fruit. You slice it in half and it looks like an eye. And kiwi fruit will protect you from an array of eye diseases. The walnut is similar in appearance to the human brain. The shell, like the brain, has wrinkles. And when opened, the meat of the nut look like the left and right brain hemispheres. The nutritional value in nuts is that they are very good for your brain. Walnuts are what botanists call a dry fruit with a high oil content. Uh, Tree nuts such as chestnuts, hazelnuts, pecans, and walnuts are the fruit of their trees. Hmm. Yeah, so are they technically not nuts then? Like peanuts are not not, technically not nuts. They're legumes, but... No, walnuts are nuts. Okay. They are nuts, but they are the fruit of their tree. So, you know, we've been all trying to classify the products we talk about as either a fruit or a vegetable. And uh, I wasn't sure whether they fell into their own category or, but they are a fruit. And once you get done picking them out, it's the fruit of your labor. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So uh, walnuts contain a lot of healthy fats fiber, minerals, and vitamins such as B6. B6 plays an important role in providing oxygen to the brain and helps the body use and store energy. Walnuts are the only nut to contain a significant amount of plant-based omega-3. The uh, omega-3 fatty acids are unsaturated fats that play multiple roles in important anti-inflammatory processes. Our bodies can't produce omega-3 acids on its own, so we have to get these fats from food. Many nuts contain monounsaturated fats, but the benefit of walnuts is that they are made up of multiple unsaturated fats. Now, fish are the best source for omega-3 acids, but for vegans and veterinarians... (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving that in. Okay. For vegans and vegetarians, walnuts are a good choice. 
<laughs> what else? Veterinarians also <laughs> recommend them. Because <laughs> they don't have to eat their own animals that they take. <laughs> Especially veterinarians that care for fish. Exactly. I don't have to. I don't have to scale it. It's just easier. One ounce of walnuts have four grams of protein, two grams of fiber, and are a good source of magnesium. Walnuts reduce oxidative stress and inflammation. And some studies show that they may help with advanced brain diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and even reduce depression. Some of the benefits of walnuts is that they can help reduce LDL cholesterol. When you buy walnuts, you want to store them in the freezer because if you leave them out at room temperature for too long, they will go rancid and you can tell if they've gone rancid by the smell. Think of the smell of paint thinner or if you've left an oil out too long, you can smell that rancid smell. Does that count even if it's been shelled? especially if it's been shelled because they will last longer at room temperature with the shell on. And I even read one suggestion that said to, when you get them in the shells, put them in the freezer for a couple of days and then you can bring them back out. So the bags of nuts that I have for baking, I need to pop them in the freezer or the fridge? I would keep them in the freezer. I keep all mine in the freezer and it only takes a minute or so for them to thaw it's not like they get hard as rocks that you can't consume them so yes leave them in the freezer as until you're ready to use them probably nothing that a microwave wouldn't help (laughs) well a serving of walnuts would be one ounce or about 14 walnut halves and it contains about 185 calories you can use walnut oil as a substitute for olive oil but you don't want to heat it too high. Uh, The heat will destroy the nutritional benefits and the smoke point for walnut oil is 400 degrees. You can grind walnuts into a fine flour and use it in a gluten-free recipe such as, or as a sauce thickener because it's completely soluble. Just pulse the nuts in a food processor, but don't over-process them or you will have walnut butter. To make your own walnut oil, you can take about a cup and a half of walnuts and put them in the oven for about at about 300 degrees for no more than 12 minutes because you don't want to burn them or, or roast them, basically. You just want to get the oil started to come out of them. And then process them in a food processor. It will make a very thin oil. And I have also made walnut butter by just taking the walnuts, not roasting them, and putting them in the food processor processor, and let it run until the nut butter is at the desired consistency. I've used walnut butter as a substitute for regular butter in recipes. You can take the walnut butter, maybe add a little honey to it, and put it on your toast or bread. Another use for walnuts, of course, is uh, in an apple salad. And although I love Waldorf salad, I try not to use mayonnaise, as you know, I'm trying to avoid these types of oils. So I just chop up an apple, grapes, and toss in some walnuts. And if I'm going to wait a little while before I serve it, I might put a little orange juice over it. To Don't, forget the the Don't forget the celery. Don't forget the celery. Well, we, you could throw some celery in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the original, remember? <laughs> that was the original Waldorf salad. 
right. The celery and apples, I think. I can't know. Yeah. Wasn't that right. a sign of wealth? Other yes. than the well, sign yeah. of, uh, uh, yeah, well, I'll have a was, Bloody Mary. Yeah, we don't need to rehearse <laughs> that. It was in a past episode. But yeah, celery was yeah. considered a luxurious item. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what are your favorite things to do with walnuts? You guys have favorite things? Um, I, I, you're not going to like this, Teresa, but I, I love them in my chicken salad that I make. Oh yeah, that's good. But it's got absolutely okay. with some homemade it. mayo. Yeah, I've never done the homemade mayo, but you gave me the recipe, so I'm going to try that. But it's fantastic in the chicken salad recipe, walnuts. Mm -hmm. Celery there too. You got to have that celery in the yeah. salad. <laughs> so, well, well, this I, is a, I, I made an arugula. I, I think I mentioned this. Uh, we got talking about pears today as well for our Christmas episode. Arugula with pears, goat cheese, and uh, walnuts. Sometimes pecans. Pecans or walnuts. I go back and forth. I like arugula with a beet salad that I make. Oh, yeah, that's good. I've had that before. Also with goat cheese, beets, arugula. Yes, yes. You haven't had my Okay, when are you coming to salad. make it for me? I know, right? <laughs> what about Rick? I bet he's got a microwave recipe. <laughs> I've, never, I've never tried roasting nuts in a mi microwave. Uh, but, you know, really, for a while, we'd buy those big bags of walnuts at, at the club store and no salt just eat them like a snack the problem is they're already shelled and you buy a big bag of them it's easy to eat too many of them as a snack <laughs> right so it's, it becomes counterproductive you know if you can discipline yourself to just eat like teresa mentioned an ounce of walnuts with no salt i mean it's it's very beneficial for your health yeah. and they really fill you up too they're really good when you're hungry it seems like walnuts will fill you up faster than just about any other nut that you eat. So Not an ounce. That's not going to do it for me. <laughs> it's very difficult. Put it on some, some other fruit, you know, uh, like on a pear or something like that. Really right. good that way. Right. And I did see a recipe for a walnut-based taco where you use black beans and walnuts. It's almost like a, a meat when you grind it up with oregano and cumin and, and chili pepper and uh, coriander and it would make a nice little taco so almost being the operative word <laughs> <laughs> just try it you like Teresa, it. <laughs> you know the last time i stayed in my suite at your home yeah in plymouth you always ate clean but uh -huh. you didn't eat crazy clean by my standards good lord do i have to have delivery dudes come over and you know like you're gonna serve me some plant-based <laughs> blah, blah 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 you might be surprised at how much you like some of these vegetarian-like preparations that i come up with <laughs> yeah i stayed with her in your suite not too long after she returned from did her you squeeze trip. you the shower i always squeeze you the shower yes <laughs> uh, and anyway it was not too long after she returned from pritikin where she began to change the downfall of <laughs> <laughs> and uh 
She made several meals that were absolutely delicious without all the oils and the sauce and everything. So she's a great gotta cook. Gotta try it. She is. <laughs> and very well, still, you still put walnuts in your oatmeal? Yes, every morning. Mm-hmm. I have oatmeal with apples, banana, and walnuts. Yes. No kiwi. It's really good. Kiwi comes later in the day. (laughs) I like raisins in it. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, that's good. Now your assignment is to make a kiwi Waldorf salad. (laughs) Kiwi for the apples. Yeah. It doesn't, it probably wouldn't hold up enough. No, it would have to be something that you could um, keep the skin on. But you know what? That would make a good dressing. Teresa said you use the orange. You could, you know, pulverize mm-hmm. the kiwi and have it as a flavoring that would be or that's you basically could, what would happen to it if you put it in it would probably just fall apart like become like a dressing right. yeah so but if you sliced it you could use it as instead of um like a, a crostini or something like a piece oh, yeah. of bread good idea Process, yeah. if you're gonna put kiwi fruit in a say a dressing and you're going to use a food processor you want to try not to chop up the seeds because that can change the taste you get a little bit more bitterness oh from really the seeds. I'm not, yeah oh i, mean, I actually, know i've that. never tried it, it change the taste yeah hmm. because it's going to be a little more bitter because of the i seeds. did make a beef stew the other night i cooked up some beef stew and and mm-hmm. have quite a few portions in the freezer now and i tenderized the beef stew beef with kiwi fruit and it was it it's just falls apart in your mouth now it's amazing yeah. how tender that was. you just threw slices in or did no, you I, I i didn't pulverize it. i i chopped it finely or you know into little cubes and then put it in a in a storage bag with the meat and i just pressed it around so the kiwi fell apart and uh, very quickly i even left the skin in there I didn't mm-hmm. bother skin peeling it, and it is amazing how how tender that meat was. So yeah, that's interesting. Great. Back to sugar plums, though. I found a great recipe. You know, as we said, the candy historians dispute whether they were actually made with fruit or if it was just some sort of candy, and ultimately it did become just a representation of all kinds of candy. So those sugar plums dancing in the heads of those children at night, they were probably all seeing different kinds of things. But I did find a really good recipe for a modern sugar plum from the website Spruce Eats. You guys have probably come across that. It's a good website. They have a lot of good recipes. This sugar plum recipe, they're like little balls, uh, rolled up balls, but they contain pitted dates, Toasted walnuts, dried cranberries, chopped prunes, chopped skinless toasted hazelnuts, cherry preserves, ground cinnamon, ground cloves, and you blend all that together. A couple of steps. You don't do everything at once, but you blend basically blend those things together and then roll them into balls. Then they say to roll it in some sugar. Now, you could leave the sugar off, and I think it'd be plenty mm-hmm. delicious and sweet. But that little sugar on the outside makes it the sugar plum, I guess. So that's a that's a very, pretty healthy recipe. 
other than the cherry preserves, but there's, there's not a lot of cherry. It's only like two tablespoons of cherry preserves and about three cups of all the other stuff. Do you need the cherry preserves uh, for a binder? I think that's what it's for, yeah. And it said not to not to pulverize all those nuts too far, but you, you're going to grind them down. But like Teresa said, with the walnuts, you don't want it to become a butter. So you got. But be- don't they? Can't you use flaxseed? Add a little water. Can't that doesn't that become viscous? Well, it's not in this recipe. You know more. I've never used flaxseed for anything, so I don't know what to say about that. But and that you works. could use coconut sugar. Um, that has a fraction of the calories and um, not... Or, or to avoid the saturated fat from coconut, you could use date sugar because that is available, date sugar. And this has dates in it, a half a cup of dates to a half a cup of walnuts. And then those are the two primary ingredients. And then just a quarter cup of prunes and a quarter cup of the hazelnuts and a quarter cup of dried cranberries. You could probably substitute raisins for those cranberries Mm -hmm. because the dried cranberries generally are infused with sugar. So Mm -hmm. I would probably substitute, to make it a little healthier, probably better to, wouldn't you agree, Teresa, the raisins would be better? Probably so, yeah. There's still a lot of sugar in a raisin, but it's not. And dates are not sugar-free, come on. No, no, but that's more Mm -hmm. natural sugars. Am I right about that, Teresa? Yes. Uh-huh. are going to be better for you. Whereas those dried cranberries, they, they use, what do they use? Corn syrup or something to infuse. Yeah. To make them sweet. So that's processed sugar. So, mm-hmm. anyway. so you see what we did there, Produce Buzzers podcast fans? We brought it all back around and tied it together. Two of the great stocking stuffers, sugar plums and walnuts and into a modern-day sugar plum recipe. We'll post that online soon, so you can make it for your holidays. A very healthy sugar plum recipe. Thank you, Rick, for all the history behind why we hang stockings by the chimney with care. And to Teresa for all that information about one of those stocking stuffers, walnuts. Now we'll shift to another fruit that has some Christmas significance. Well, Produce Buzzers podcast fans, it's December. And did you know that December is National Pear Month? It's interesting because pears come in in the fall. They're probably mostly all harvested in North America, Northern Hemisphere by now. But they last, they can hang around for a while. They're a storage fruit if you store them properly. And December is a very popular time to use them. But did you know this? Pears are related to roses. They are in the rose family, which you might be surprised to learn that also apples, cherries, peaches, and almonds are in the rose family. So there's, that's something a lot of people don't know, but they're, they're flowers. If you've seen them, the flowers of all of these different trees, they do resemble wild rose flowers. And if you have rose bushes in your yard, you've probably noticed that the flowers will eventually turn into a fruit, which is called a rose hip, which looks similar to a pear, apple, cherry, a little bit, a very small one, of course. 
And that rose hip is edible, as you probably know. They're used in making teas and other things, syrups. The Indian cuisine, they make a rose hip syrup that they pour over desserts and things. The oldest known occurrence of the cultivation of pears was in China as far back as 2000 BC. The Romans cultivated them and had at least three dozen different varieties that we're aware of. That's according to Pliny the Elder in his book on natural history. The Romans brought them to the British Isles. And today, there are over 3,000 known varieties of pears. But here's something that's unusual. Wood from pears is one of the most preferred woods for making a lot of different items, especially woodwind instruments. It's great for making woodwind instruments because when it is dried out, it's very stable and it doesn't warp very much. It's also a favorite for architects, rulers, and T-squares, again, because it doesn't warp very easily. So I thought that was interesting. And we're coming up on Christmas, and of course, it was in the first gift in the song, 12 Days of Christmas. But I always had a question about that song. Did the singer's true love give the singer 12 partridges in 12 pear trees? Because it's, you know, at the end of it, on the first day of Christmas, they got a partridge in a pear tree. And then the second day of Christmas, they got, what did they get on the second day? I forget. Two turtle doves. Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. So now do they have two of those? And is at the end, they have 12 of them? No. <laughs> no. The because of a small orchard. <laughs> No, because then it would say, like, and we added a pear tree. <laughs> no, give one. No, I think it's, I think they got 12 of those. So, you know, that was, the, that was the star gift. I mean, the partridge was also, you know, a good gift. But 12 pear trees, uh, like Teresa said, a small orchard. <laughs> <laughs> but that would also mean they got 30 French hints in total. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what really interests me is the seven maids of milking. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like eight, 56 maids of milking. <laughs> and I wonder how many cows came with that. Maybe seven cows or two. Or just the seven maids and one cow. <laughs> oh, is it referring to milking cows? I... Well, yes. what else are they milking? <laughs> Uh-oh. This is not National Geographic. <laughs> I thought that meant they were lactating. <laughs> oh, my. oh, my God. Because it doesn't say anything about cows. It just says seven maids of milk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, I don't think gosh. that they would be putting that into a, uh, a child song. <laughs> Some of these songs were not like all those nursery rhymes that we grew up with. They were not for children. They were political, mostly political. political. Yeah, (laughs) and sometimes not really X-rated, but they were edgy. (laughs) So pears are eighty-four percent water, like a lot of fruits and vegetables, very high in water. But they are very nutritious, despite being mostly water. An average size pear will give you 10% of your recommended daily allowance of vitamin C. 
8% of your vitamin K. But listen to this. It will give you 16% of your recommended daily allowance of copper. <laughs> and as expensive as copper. Any is, pair? <laughs> well, pairs in general. I'm sure they differ. But okay. Variety to variety. But what is important about copper for your health? Since you can't take the copper out of a pair and cash it in on the metals market, you've got to put it in your body. Uh, it's an essential nutrient for the body. Together with iron, it enables the body to form red blood cells. And it helps maintain healthy bones, blood vessels, nerves, and immune function. And contributes to the absorption of iron, which I think most people understand how important that is. Sufficient copper in the diet may also help prevent cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis. So they're one of the highest fruits for sources of copper. They're loaded with all the B vitamins as well uh, and phosphorus and potassium. And they are one of the best sources of fiber. And as Teresa has noted a couple of times on past episodes, even better than apples as far as fiber. One ranking I saw has them at number nine for fruits containing the most fiber. Just behind kiwi fruit, which I think is where our discussion came in on the fiber uh, of these things, uh, that same average pair will give you 22% of your RDA of fiber. And studies have shown that pears can benefit your health in several ways, including improving gut health, helping to prevent cancer, heart disease, diabetes. And they have been shown to help in weight loss because of that high fiber and water content. So eating a lot of them while you're trying to lose weight can make you feel more full and less hungry. And a couple of studies showed that participants who ate two to three pears per day lost an average of 11 inches on their waistlines so pears are mostly you probably mostly eat them uh, by themselves or you know uh, just uh, slice them up and eat them uh, as a snack or maybe with some other fruits you can just bite right into them of course wash them thoroughly but don't bother peeling them a lot of that fiber is in the skin and it's easy to eat and digest like none like a lot of other fruits that have thicker skins I love them on salads, especially over the top of arugula with a little goat cheese and some pecans or walnuts. Drizzle a little bit of balsamic vinegar over it and maybe some shavings of Reggiano Parmigiano. Not mm -hmm. Parmesan cheese, please. To leave that at the grocery store, get Reggiano Parmigiano, the real stuff. <laughs> of course, they do well in fruit salads, too. Uh, they pair well with <laughs> apples, bananas, raisins, dates, walnuts. Some people like to add a bit of mayonnaise to all that. I'm not crazy about that, but for some it really is delicious. I prefer to add a little honey and lime in my pear fruit salad to give some flavor. And the honey gives a similar texture to that mayonnaise, which is probably why most people want the mayonnaise, is that kind of that umami texture, as we've talked about. So... <laughs> If you just slice the pear up and put it in lettuce, and it, you don't even need dressing on it. It's, yeah. Of course, well, let's not get crazy, changed, Teresa. Changed palate, I guess. You know, it, What's, it's, it's really, really good. No, I agree. And my favorite ones to put on salad are the bosque. 
and the comice. And the comice before it gets too ripe because there's something about the texture of a bosque and it's not very sweet, but there's just something, you know what? It's very similar to iceberg lettuce. It's that crunch that, I don't know, I just really like that texture. Yeah. The New Zealanders have a Taylor's Gold Pear that has the coloring of the bosque, but the inner texture of the camise. Hmm. So it's a that's a really good one to eat. And there's something about the Bosque uh, skin. I don't know. It's matte, and it's just I don't know. It's just an unusual fruit. I really like it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, as we said, there's over three thousand different varieties of pears grown around the world. Uh, you're not going to find three thousand in your grocery store. The most common ones are the Bartlett. That's probably the most common. Then the Anjou. And as was mentioned, Bosque and Comice, if you haven't tried those, you should try them. They are unique uh, and do do have a different flavor. And there's red versions of the Anjou and the Bartlett. And then there's another one that's very popular called the Star Crimson. So those are the most common ones. But one of my favorites is the Asian pear, Cynthia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And those have been cultivated in <laughs> Your Asia nickname for, for me. Uh, oh, yeah. We should call it <laughs> our little Asian pear. <laughs> the Asian pears, you know, when I first saw them, I thought, oh, this must be some kind of hybrid. But uh, I learned quickly that they have been cultivated in one of, the, one of the oldest pears, actually, been cultivated in Asia for over 3,000 years. And and has the same consistency, very much like a bosque. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's a little crisper than a bosque, isn't it? They're like crunch and juice. Yeah. yeah. You know, when they're ripe, you crunch into them and they just melt in right. your mouth. So in Asia, the biggest and best quality of those are become very prized gifts at different times of the year and holidays or for any time in the Asian cultures. They like to give those as gifts. And China, they think they are a symbol of good fortune. They are planted in yards or various places in the yards to ward off evil and misfortune. But in China, they also have a saying about them that might not be considered good fortune. The expression is, share a pair. Uh, Because the word for pair in Chinese sounds exactly like the word for separate. If you say to a loved one you wish to share a pair, it can mean you wish to part ways with them or break up. So Mm. don't share a pair. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to send the wrong message. Oh. I keep hearing an expression, grow a pair. But. <laughs> a lot Darn of people it. say he that to you. <laughs> a lot of people say that to you there, Rick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought of a good uh, salad dressing. Take fresh pears, put them in the, in the blender, put some of that balsamic vinegar in there, like you mentioned, and make a pear-flavored balsamic vinegar dressing the drizzle over the top of your salad maybe we should test it first <laughs> yeah that the time i made the hot pepper apple pie it didn't turn out too good okay i'm gonna give you an assignment rick test it let me know okay. test, 
Test it to the He said balsamic, not know. bourbon. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That might actually, a little bit of bourbon flavor might actually be good. They, have many, they make barbecue sauce like that. So, right. Um, that make a good glaze for grilling, too, what you were just talking about. Yeah. And one other question I want to ask you you may have already said this, but you know, the gritty taste that you get in a pear. Yeah. I wonder what causes that. Pears are gritty because they contain a lot of stone cells. These cells protect the unripe pear from damage, giving a tough flesh. As the pear ripens, the sugar around these stone cells multiplies and turns the pear into a juicy fruit, significantly softer and sweeter. Hmm. Very good. There you go. Right. That's more okay. complex than I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is a different. It's quite different, and I don't know any other fruits that have that aspect. There might be some others. So uh, when you're trying to choose your pears in the grocery store, when you want to eat them is key to how you should select them. If you're looking for a ripe pear to eat immediately, that should yield gently to soft pressure around the top of the pear. Uh, just where the stem joins the fruit. If it just starts to give there, the fruit is ripe and can be eaten right away. But you might want to Just be make sure that you do your own bagging at the grocery store. Yeah, that's true. Because pears really will bruise easily. you got to treat them gently. But if you don't want to eat them for a few days, the top should still be hard. And uh, you can store them when you get them home at room temperature. Depending on the variety, they'll ripen in a few days. And if you want to speed it up, place the pears in a paper bag with a ripe banana or an apple, like we've said about many other fruits. Those fruits give off the ethylene gas, which the pears soak up and, and start to produce themselves and then speed up the ripening process. So we hope that tells you all you need to know about pears and we hope you'll enjoy them. National Pear Month. And at Christmas, hopefully your true love will give you 12 pear trees. Okay. I would like to say one thing. You know, you always hear these descriptions of how to tell us something's right by pressing gently at the top. And I would like the consumers to know, you know, being that I used to have a retail produce market, that doesn't mean you go in the grocery store and grab the fruit and start pressing with as hard as you can with your thumbs where you push through the fruit and bruise it. Yeah. Cause I've seen so many people do that. You most produce items, you can just hold them in your hand and tell if they're hard or soft just by holding them you know, and treat them delicately because you don't want to bruise that pear for the next person. That's right. coming yeah. It has to be very, very, very gentle pressure. I'm glad you yeah. brought that up because I thought we did experience that a lot. Some people would just mangle the fruit and then once they pressed it and it was bruised, they didn't want to buy it. They'd put right. it back in the yeah. bin and go yeah. on to the next one. Um, be very that careful. is especially true. That is especially true when it comes to alligator pears. Oh. Do you know what those are? <laughs> Avocados. Avocados. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so many people misinterpret that. Like uh, a little bit of pressure doesn't mean mashing them. Yeah. I remember one time in. Our fruit market. Yeah. This lady came in and she had long fingernails and Ugh. she literally put a fingernail punch into every tomato that she was, <gasps> was squeezing them to see if they were too soft. And, and when I came back to the table, every tomato had 
one of a puncture wound from her fingernails, you know, and like that's no, gross. no concern for the next person that's coming to look for tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've, I've seen a lot of abuse because people read something like that. Gentle pressure to the touch. Oh, okay. That means mash it and see if it's. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a good point to make uh, because yeah. you have to be very, like you said, you know, I know that when I'm selecting my alligator pears or regular pears, uh, <laughs> sometimes holding them, you can, without even pressing at all, you can tell that they're right. probably soft. Yeah. But, but I normally give it just a little bit, but I'm trying to be very, very careful not to push in too hard. And and usually, if I, if it's yeah. if if it yields that general pressure, it's in my bag, you know, in the, my mm-hmm. cart. Right. I'm not yeah. putting it back on the shelf, so I'm taking right. you know. Uh, so if it, if it doesn't yield to that general pressure, you're not hurting it because mm-hmm. it's probably not at that point. But with pears, uh, some varieties, not all varieties, but like the Bartlett pears, you can tell a lot just by the color. You don't yes. have to squeeze it because it's, if it's a good yellow color, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be ripe pretty soon if it's not already. I ended up with a whole 40-pound box of the – is it Comice or Comice pears? Comice. Comice. A whole forty-pound box of those, uh, and they were really good. But as they got older, they started to get the brown spots on them, you know. And pretty soon, they were fermented. They tasted like a fine wine. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if other pears ferment the same way, but but those really did. They they had like a, a taste like wine. They were still I think that good. that probably has to do with like maybe the sugar content, right? Yeah. Well, they because are fermenting. I think that, They're yeah. fermenting and it's starting to go to wine. But yeah. I mean, no, like my point is that the comice, I don't think gets that sweet. It doesn't get like a Bartlett. It doesn't get like a comice. Yeah. The, the comice that I had, they got, they were very sweet. I gave some away to family members and they said those were the best pears they've ever eaten in their life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. speaking of pears and uh, alcohol, <laughs> Pear cider is called Perry. <laughs> and have you ever seen <clears throat> the brandy with the pear inside the bottle? Yes. That I is did really see interesting that. to see. And when you look at it, the first time I saw it, I said, How do they do this? It's not like a ship in a ship in a bottle, because there's a method of getting a ship inside a bottle. Uh, but when you look at that pear inside that bottle with the very, very narrow neck, you say, How did they get that pear in there? Does anybody know how? The pear winds up. In yes, the they put the bottle over the blossom on the tree, and the pear grows in the bottle. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Who holds the bottle up while it grows? <laughs> Does it take two guys to hold a bottle? <laughs> well, down south when we make moonshine, we use a quart mason jar that has a it's a wide mouth. So after you make your moonshine. Brandy. Put a put. You can put a pear in there. You just drop the pear right in there. And <laughs> Not rocket science. <laughs> okay, time to move on from alcohol and pears. So, produce buzzers, podcast fans, it's time for your favorite segment on produce buzzers podcast. I know it's not, but once again, have to endure it because we have to do a home. Grrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
what do you call a walnut that likes to exercise? Okay, wait a minute. We give us time. Think about it. What do you call a walnut that likes to exercise? Cynthia? Come on, you can get it. Mm. Rick? I know this can't be the answer because it's too simple, but is it a health nut? You oh, right. well, yay! Well done. Rick. Okay, Talk yeah. about a blind squirrel gets a walnut every now and again. That's the correct <laughs> answer? That is the correct answer. I can't believe it. <laughs> That's too easy. <laughs> yep. Too nutty. <laughs> It was just too simple. It was too simple. I didn't get it. What the hell's that? <laughs> That's why I said blind squirrel gets a nut every now and again. Okay, let's leave the blind squirrels to their nuts. We've got enough nuts around here for everyone. But that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us today. We wish you the happiest of holidays and a happy new year. We hope both are exceedingly fruitful in every way, especially literally, with lots of good fruit and veggies for the celebrations in the coming year in your life. Join us in January for Season 2 of Produce Buzzers Podcast. Please subscribe to it on your favorite podcast platform. And if you can help support our efforts to spread the good news about fresh fruits and veggies and all they do for our health, we would be so grateful. To do that, visit anchor.fm forward slash produce hyphen buzz. There you will see a support button. Click on it and decide how much you would like to give to get the message out about fresh fruits and vegetables. Thanks again and good night. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to the Produce Buzzers podcast. Brought to you by Produce Buzz a gathering place for lovers of fresh fruits and veggies. We hope you were entertained a bit and educated a lot about fresh produce. Be sure to join us next time, and please tell your friends to do so as well. Like, share, and comment on our Produce Buzz Facebook page. And check out our website at www.producebuzz.com. There you will find articles about fresh fruits and veggies how to select, store, and prepare them, as well as lots of interesting facts about all the wonderful bounty the earth provides for us. Until next time, be fruitful, and don't forget to veg out.